goes to Matthew chapter 7. The book of Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to read from verse 9 to verse 11. Matthew chapter 7, verses 9 to 11. Matthew 7, 9 to 11. Somebody who is there shout hallelujah. Matthew chapter 7, verse 9. Amen? Amen. I read. Or what man is there of you, whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Praise the Lord. Last morning, the topic of our discussion is our father, the giver. Our father, what? Our father, the giver. And I believe we are all very familiar with the passage we have just read. God is ever ready to give. The Bible says in Psalm 46, he said, God is my refuge and strength. A what? A very present help in trouble. God is a very present help. God is a help that is always present. He's not far from us. Tell somebody he's not far from you. It's a very present help. He's a giver. That's the key thing. The Bible says in John chapter 3 verse 16, we all know that passage very well. What does it say? John 3 16. That he did what? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. If you don't know any other passage in the Bible, I believe you should know that one. In trying to prove his love to us, God gave his son. That's why you and I are here today. That's why we talk about Jesus. That's why we talk about Christ. So our God is a giver. Our Father is the giver. And in the passage that we read, he said, what man is there of you whom if his son shall ask him for bread will give him a stone? And he has demo is demonstrating something to us here. And that is the fact that our father gives bread in the place of stone. Our father does what? So we are starting from our heavenly father. Because who he is, is whom we should be. Now, turn to a man. A man, any man near you, and say, and point to him, and say, Who he is is who you should be. There's a man here, not nobody is pointing to him. <laughs> Sister Margaret, there's a man beside you, point to him. Uh, exactly, point to him and say, Who he, uh, we are going to say it again. Please make sure you are pointing to all the men in the house, including the one hiding at the back there, that man that is hiding there. Uh, I'm looking for, I'm, I'm looking for, okay, and even the man that is just coming in. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Say who he, who he is, is who you should be. And that's very important. Our father is a father that gives bread in the place of stone. I'm sure we've heard that statement so many times. What does it mean? He said, how can you ask for bread and he will give you stone? Brethren, the first thing I noted about stones is that stones are many. 
True or false? Stones are many. But you agree with me that bread is few. Is that right? I think that's the word. Bread is scarce. Stone is in abundance. It's everywhere. But bread is scarce. In other words, our father is one that knows that which is scarce, but which we need. And he makes it available unto us. He makes it available unto us. The abundant availability of stones explains why the devil met Jesus in the wilderness. And he said to him, turn these stones into what? Because stones are everywhere. And he, came, he knew that having fasted for 40 days, what Jesus needed was bread. And he came to him and said, if you are the son of God, do what? Turn these stones to bread. In Matthew chapter 3, from verse 3 to verse 4, if you are the son of God, command these stones to be made bread. And brethren, Jesus could have done it. But he chose not to fall for the temptation. Tell somebody, don't fall for the temptation. There are temptations all around. Temptations that want you to turn stone to bread for a selfish purpose. For selfish means. Because if Jesus had turned that stone to bread, he would not say, okay, Satan, what else? But it would be a foolish dialogue. Tell me about the foolish dialogue. And that's what many of us are engaged in. We want to prove that we are wise, but the end result is outright foolishness. Jesus Christ saw that there was no need for him to prove himself to the devil. Brethren, we must always remember, the devil is an angel. Or let me not say is, he was an angel. Do you realize that? There is no comparison between Jesus and Satan. Tell somebody there is no comparison. Between Jesus and Satan. It's very obvious. The guy was an angel before he fell. Even before he fell, he had no place before Christ. And then he went to, to meet him. He said, if you are the son of God, turn these stones onto bread. But Jesus knew where he was going. And I pray for someone here today. You will not fall for the wives of the devil. Stones could be a hindrance. Stones could be what? But God makes a way through our Lord Jesus Christ. For as Jesus seeks for a bride in the church, in like manner went a man in the book of Genesis chapter 29 verses 2 to 3. Genesis 29 verses 2 to 3, we see the story of Jacob. The Bible says Jacob got to a place in the wilderness. And he saw a well in the field. And there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of the well, they watered the flocks. But there was a limitation. And what was that limitation? There was a great stone. There was what? A great stone upon the well's mouth. And so as many as came and were ready to feed their flock, they couldn't go ahead because of that great stone. Stones could be a hindrance. Brethren, we know that that culminated in the journey of Jacob. 
It was at that well he found the woman that he loved. Does anybody remember her name? Rachel. But in order for him to prove his mettle at that point in time, he needed to have that stone rolled away. He rolled the stone away. Stones could be a hindrance. But whatever be the hindrance on your part today, the king of kings himself will roll it away in Jesus' name. Whatever is standing on the path of your attaining divine fulfillment, whatever stone is standing on the path of God's plan for your home, Jesus himself will roll it away in Jesus' name. After Jacob had rolled that stone away, the flocks were, I mean, were, were watered. In, in chapter, in that same Genesis 29 verse 10, the Bible says, When Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, what did he do? He went near, he rolled the stone from the world's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. The stone was a hindrance. But our father is one that can turn the stone away. That was what he did at the resurrection of Christ. Is that not so? There was a great stone. Not an ordinary stone. A what? A great stone. That stone was the greatest by the ability of man. But it was an ordinary stone as far as God is concerned. Maybe there's a great stone on your path. Because our father is a father that that knows... That he will not give you stone in place of bread. Because his desire is to give you bread, not to put a stone on your path. That stone will be rolled away today in Jesus' name. Every stone on your path that is meant to limit God's plan and purpose for your life, I command that stone, be rolled away in the name of Jesus. The Bible says in Genesis 28 verse 11 to 12, that Jacob was on a journey. And he got to a place And he decided to sleep. And he took a stone. And he made it what? A pillow. The stone was a pillow for him to sleep. And brethren, he must have had a sweet night that night. How do I know? Because he had a dream. Is that not so? If you cannot sleep, there's no place for a dream. That stone was so comfortable for David in the wilderness that the moment he closed his eyes, he began to have a beautiful dream. God revealed himself unto Jacob. But you see, Jacob using that stone as a place to sleep, it was a temporal situation. Tell somebody temporal. Temporal. In other words, that stone in your life could be for a brief use, but it's not supposed to be permanent. In other words, if you are still sleeping, do what? Wake up. The dream ended long ago, but you are still sleeping. You are expected to have woken up and continued to the next stage of this journey. If Jacob did not wake up from that point in the wilderness and continue his journey, he wouldn't have met uh, uh, Rachel. Is that not so? If Jacob had woken up and said, like he said, he said, surely the Lord was in this place, but I knew it not. You know what many of us will do at that point in time? We will build a temple there. Say, ah, God, I had a wonderful dream of God here. This must be the house of God. I am not leaving this place. Was that the plan of God for him? God just revealed himself through that, I mean, at that point in time. But he needed to continue on his journey. 
Can you tell somebody sitting near you that please continue on this journey? You have to remember that premature rest brings what? Premature death. Premature rest brings premature death. That young prophet in, I believe it's, is it 2 Kings chapter 6? No, chapter 13. The man, God gave him a message so that you know that it was no ordinary prophet. He went to Bethel. He met Jeroboam sacrificing to his idols. He told Jeroboam that you see this place that you are. One day, a king will come. His name is Josiah. He will kill all the prince of Bear. He will turn their stones, I mean their bones, upon this altar. And the altar itself will be what? will be turned upside down. Jeroboam was angry. What's the word they use in this part of the world? Jeroboam was mad. He was mad with him. I said, how dare you tell me that? The Bible says Jeroboam stretched forth his hand and his hand withered. So this prophet was a man in real standing with God. He obeyed God. Jeroboam had to say, please pray for me that my hands may be returned. And he prayed and the man's hands was restored. But the man made a mistake. Tell somebody a mistake. You will not make the mistake that will terminate your life. You will not make the mistake that will terminate your destiny. You will not make the mistake that will make you to fail in life. Amen. You know, they tell us that when you go to the burial ground, that many, they say it's the richest place on earth. Why? Because it's the place where many dreams are buried. It's a place where men have, they had dreams in life. This is what I want to do. This is what I'm going to become. But they made just one mistake. And that mistake terminated their dreams. Our God is a God of restoration. But adventure, you've made that mistake that has impaired your dreams. I decree restoration to your life in Jesus' name. I decree that God will restore that which you have lost in the name of Jesus. That young prophet made the mistake of listening to an old prophet whose ministry has ended. Who was looking for a man that would die with him. But you know the unfortunate thing? The young prophet listened to the old prophet, went back and ate where God told him not to eat. You see, we will say it's a simple sin. Is that not so? That's what many of us say. Oh, it's a simple one. Even God will not mind. All that that man did was he disobeyed God by going back to that place to eat. Unfortunately for him, where he was eating, the prophet that lied to him that brought him back was the same one to whom God spoke. And God said, because you have disobeyed me and obeyed this man, you will not get back to the land of your birth. That man died on the way. How did it all start? He rested on his journey when he ought not to have rested. Tell somebody, don't rest prematurely. Do you realize, brethren, that life is short? Do you realize that? Ask our brethren here that are above 70 years. They will tell you there are some things that they could do at the age of 40, at the age of 30, at the age of 50, that right now, it's a challenge. Is that not so? There are once upon a time, if you leave Brother Ed on the compound of this church, he will clear everything, sweep it, Mop it. What else do they do out there? Whatever needs to be done. 
And when he goes home, he will still have time to pay attention to other things. Brother S still comes to do those things today. But it's different. True or false? Brethren, time is limited for us as humans. Don't waste the time that you have. Don't do what? Don't waste it. There is an urgency. You know, David made a statement. He said the king's matter requires what? Haste. Urgency. Urgency. You've done nothing, you are resting. You've done nothing, you are relaxing. One of the, there was a song that the choristers were, were shown here, something about a crown. You don't have a crown yet and you are resting. Resting on what? Is somebody with me this morning? There is no crown on your head and you are what? I'm saying there is no single crown. How much more those that have five crowns? How much more those that have 20 crowns? You have none and you are resting. Can you tell somebody, please repent? I think especially look for a man. Look for a man and tell the man, please repent. It's very important. There is work to be done in your father's house. Stop sleeping on the stone. The revelation has been given. It's time to walk. It's time to do what? It's time to walk. You have met the angels at that point in time. It's time to move forward. There are greater things that need to be done ahead. We will not fail in Jesus' name. I said we will not fail in Jesus' name. I'll go to my second point. Our father, the giver, he gives fish in the place of serpent. He does what? Genesis chapter 2 verse 14 tells, tells us that our God is the Jehovah Jireh. The Lord that provides. He provides because he sees. Brethren, the serpent is wise but dangerous. Tell somebody the serpent is wise. But what? The Bible says there is a way that seemeth right unto man. The end thereof is what? Is death. Unfortunately for many of us, it is that way we are looking for. You are looking for the way that looks wise by human standards, by every human uh, analysis. But the end thereof is what? Death. The Bible says the foolishness of God is what? The foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. That thing God will ask you to do that looks foolish is wiser than the wisdom of men. I was sharing with some of our pastors some days ago. We have a church in Sudbury. When we started that parish, it's just because we had a couple that went there. And we started. And how many people will come today? Husband and wife and, and their child at times. So. But the, the, the fellowship started. And then recently, two of my pastors in the GTA, in the greater Toronto area, told me that the government of Ontario is encouraging refugees to move to where? To Sudbury. So we had people in some of our parishes in Toronto who were being taken care of by these pastors. And they were now telling me, 
oh, where is the church in Sudbury? So that I can give them the address. The church that started, that was just husband and wife and child and all that, now people are coming in who already knew RCCG in Toronto and they are worshipping in RCCG where? In Sudbury. Now what am I trying to bring out? When we started that parish, we didn't know that even government will help us. Is that not government helping us? They are giving them incentives to relocate to Sudbury. They will accommodate them. They will give them some enhanced income. All the while just to go and help our church in Sudbury. Yes. The foolishness of God is what? Meanwhile, maybe the pastor of that church is currently in Toronto sitting now and say, ah, this GTA, I must die here. And his church is waiting for him in Sudbury. And God is saying, my friend, I didn't call you to sit down in Toronto. Where did I, where did I call you to go? Sudbury. You must be ready to move with God. When you are ready to move with God, he will take you to where he has prepared for you. Can you please tell somebody to move with God? It's very important. The serpent is wise, but the serpent is what? Dangerous. Dangerous. That's why the Bible says, be as wise as serpents, but as gentle as what? As a doves. You go through the scriptures. It was a serpent that the, the Satan used to deceive the woman. In Matthew 23, verse 33. Matthew 23, verse 33. Jesus Christ said, you serpents, you generation of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of what? Of hell. That's where serpent is going. It will not lead you there in Jesus' name. Amen. I say it will not lead you there in Jesus' name. Amen. The second thing about the serpent is that the serpent is cursed. The serpent is what? Cursed. In Genesis chapter 3. From verse 13 to verse, I mean, from verse 14 to verse 15, the Lord said unto the serpent, Genesis 3, 14 to 15, God said unto the serpent, because you have done this, you have caused above all cattle, above every beast of the field, upon thy belly shall thou go, and thus shall thou eat all the days of thy life. Normally, brethren, the serpent will not come to you in a way that you will see it and run away. Is that not so? How will it come? Oh, he will come in the form of that beautiful sister. He will come in the form of that handsome young man. And all his plans and purpose is to make you to fall. You will not fall in Jesus' name. Amen. I said you will not fail in Jesus' name. He is full of I mean, poisons. The poison of adultery. The poison of fornication. The poison that will make you a servant to the end. Not a servant of God, but a servant of the world. Remember, the Bible says, love not what? The world. Tell somebody, love not the world. Love not the world. Very straightforward. Love not the world, nor the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, they are not of God. The Bible says, the world passeth away and the lust thereof. First John chapter 2 from verse 15 downwards. The world passeth away and the lusts thereof. All the temptation of the serpent will do what? It will pass away. One day, this flesh, they will look for it, they will not see it. All they will see will be bones. Is that not so? If the Lord tarries, there will come a day they will look for the flesh and they will not find it. 
When the soul is gone, when the spirit is gone, what will be your testimony, if any? You will not fail in Jesus' name. The serpent will not successfully beguile you in the name of Jesus. Number three, the father gives life in the place of death. The father gives what? Life in the place of death. That's why the Bible says the wages of sin is, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 30, Deuteronomy chapter 30, Deuteronomy chapter 30 from verse 19 to 20, Moses was speaking to the children of Israel. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. He said, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that thou and thy seed may what? May live. In other words, curses will result in death. But a choice of life, of course, will enable you to live. You choose life by doing what? Let's go to verse 20. Verse 20. He said that thou may love the Lord thy God. That's number one. So if you are saying you have chosen life, the first thing you do is what? Love the Lord your God. There's no alternative to that. Love the Lord your God. Obey his voice. Cleave unto him. So you cannot say you love the Lord when you don't obey his voice. Can you? No, it's not possible. You know the voice of God, you are disobeying him. You are not. Look at it, goes on saying, For he is thy life and the length of thy days. The love of God will give you long life. That thou may dwell in the land which the Lord swear to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. You will fulfill destiny in Jesus' name. Amen. I said, You will fulfill destiny in Jesus' name. Amen. Number four. The Father forgives. The Father does what? We know the story of the prodigal son. We all call it the story of the prodigal son, right? In Luke chapter 15, I'm just going to take a few verses in it, but I believe from, uh, uh, from verse 11 down to towards the end of that chapter. Luke chapter 15, verse 11 to verse 24. In verse 11, Jesus Christ said, A certain man had two sons. A certain man has what? The youngest said to his father, Give me the portion of goods that followed to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, took his journey to a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. He wasted his substance with riotous living. While his father was still alive, he wasted what the father had worked for. Meanwhile, he himself has worked for nothing. And many of us in that situation will say, this young man, I don't want to see you ever again. True or false? Uh, see, I've done everything for you. I've given you everything I can give. I've given you more. But the Bible says the man came to his senses. Where he was dining with, with, with pigs. I said, ah, in my father's house, there are many servants. They don't even eat the, the food that pigs are eating. He said, I will go back to my father. 
And I will tell him, don't take me back as a son. Take me back as what? As a servant. I know that as a servant, I will enjoy more than these servants. And the Bible says in verse 20, he arose. He came to his father. But the Bible says when he was yet a great way off, his father did what? His father saw him. His father had compassion. His father ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the storm began to rehearse the things he had prepared before. Father, I have sinned against heaven. I have sinned in your sight. I am not worthy to be called your son. But the father cut him short. He told the servants, bring the best robes. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And that's very important. Because we are made to understand that in the olden days, in this society, servants don't wear shoes. So when the father said, close him, put a ring on his hand, I'm giving him some authority. Give him shoes to wear. I am taking him back, not as a servant, but as what? As a son. He has offended me in so many ways, but I am a father that forgives. Can you tell a father near you, say, be a father, be a father. that forgives. I want to assure you, brethren, it was not easy. Maybe in your own case, what you need to do is be a son that does what? That forgives. Maybe it's your father that has offended you. Oh, and any time you think about it, you say, I can never forgive that man. Don't waste your life. That's what unforgiveness does. It does what? It wastes life. It wastes life. Why tie to the, I mean, the glorious future that you have? So something, maybe the man is even dead. And you are there saying, you can never forgive him. You are punishing yourself. Our heavenly father forgives. The father in this passage, Luke chapter 15, was a father that was anticipating the return of his son. That's why he sat in a corner whereby he could see afar off. Said, this my son has gone astray. But I'm not ready to give up on him. I want him to come back home. And he waited for him. And like somebody pointed out, the Bible says, when that young man was still afar off, what did the father do? Many of us are too dignified to do that. True or false? Say, why will I run to meet him? He's the one that offended me. In fact, I still need some, uh, I need to take some pacifier. To make sure that my anger level is low enough to even receive him. But this father ran to meet that young man, embraced him, and said, Welcome home. Tell somebody, Welcome home. He said, Welcome home. You are still my son. That's the essence of everything that that father did. And, brethren, that's the way our Heavenly Father treats us. That's the way our Heavenly Father expects you and I to do what? To treat each other. To treat each other. A man of God was sharing a, uh, a testimony. He was called to come and pray for his sister. And he got there. They prayed. They did all the binding, all the losing, everything. Because as far as he was concerned, he saw the situation as a demonic situation. But all the binding and losing achieved nothing. And said, Lord, what is going on? And the Lord said, this woman has unforgiveness. 
And he asked her, Whom are you, who are you holding on to that you have not forgiven? And she said, nobody. Nobody. I forgive, I'm not, I hold nobody, nothing against anybody. And by the leading of the Holy Spirit, the man asked, how many sons do you have? Two. So how many daughters-in-law? That's what they call them, right? How many daughters-in-law? Daughter-in-law. That's the, the, the wives of the sons. Do you have? She said two. Okay, what are their names? She told him the names. And they, okay, what are the first one? I don't remember the name. I say, for example, what of Mary? How is Mary? Oh, see, Mary is a wonderful girl. In fact, she's the best daughter-in-law ever. In fact, she's my daughter. Oh, she comes here. She does this for me. She does that for her. Okay. What of Joanna? And the woman will not talk. That was her second daughter-in-law. What of so and so and so? And then when eventually she spoke, she said, that girl is of the devil. I don't want to see her. So that is the lady that has offended this woman. And she had made up her mind she would not forgive her. And she was dying. And she opened her mouth and said, I don't care. I will die. I won't forgive her. But thank God, the man of God was able to talk to her, pray with her, and eventually... Before he left that place, she forgave that woman. And it was genuine forgiveness. You know, some forgiveness are platonic. Uh, you know what I mean by that, right? Just like, like some love is what? Platonic. It's just on the surface. It doesn't mean anything. The fact that the guy keeps saying, I love you, I love you, doesn't mean he loves you. He's just deceiving you. But this forgiveness was of the heart. And the moment she forgave, tears started dropping from her, from her, from her eyes. And she started shivering. And before she knew what was going on, this woman that could not stand up, that could not get out of bed for three years, by the time her, uh, her husband or whatever came back, came to the house from the store, that same day, they met the woman outside doing gardening, prepared and thinking of everyone. She had been bedridden for many years. Three. Because of what? Tell somebody, you better forgive. You see, on earth, all forgiveness can make you to be sick. Do you know what it does in heaven? What does it do in heaven? You won't even get there. Any. If you die in unforgiveness, your hell is assured. Express road to hell. You have, he said, you know, you know what they call broad street. The road will be broad enough to carry you and your unforgiveness and dump you in hell. You won't go to hell in Jesus' name. That's why you are here today. Our heavenly father forgives. The good father forgives. Why won't you forgive? Maybe you should ask somebody, are you like him? Only a few people are talking. Somebody is not happy because I'm talking of unforgiveness. Ask your neighbor, are you like him? In other words, I am saying, are you like our heavenly father? Because if you are like our heavenly father, it doesn't matter the person that has offended you. Your father, your mother, your daughter-in-law, your son-in-law, your younger-in-law, your senior-in-law, whatever it is. You will do what? You will forgive. Don't let the error of somebody debar you from making heaven. Like I always say, I don't want to be lonely in heaven because I know I will make it. And there's someone here who will have made heaven with me. But who, because of unforgiveness, will not make it? 
I pray that you won't live here today without unforgiveness. Amen. And finally, brethren, our Father heals. Our Father does what? Our Father is a healer. Do you know, the Bible says, the children of Israel were in the wilderness for many years. Forty good years. Forty good years. The sandals, they are sandals. The Bible says, not, there was, what, how did the Bible put it? Huh? It didn't wear out. The sandals. They must be of higher quality than what we buy these days. Because all those uh, wonderful, uh, uh, I mean, basketball shoes that you buy, within a year, the thing is gone. And you spend so much money on it. But the sandals of the children of Israel for 40 years in the wilderness, irrespective of the maker, either it was a brand A, brand B, or brand C, there was no wearing out. The Bible says they were not weary, they were not sick. Why? God was with them. That's the father we're talking about today. He's the father that ensures that with his children do not fall sick so long as they stand as what? As his children. If you go to Matthew chapter 7, from verse 14 to verse 18. Matthew chapter, no, chapter 17 rather. Matthew 17 from verse 14 to verse 18. Matthew 17 verse 14 to verse 18. The Bible says, when Jesus was come down from the mountain, the mountain of transfiguration, he saw the multitude. And there was a man who came and knelt before him. That is a father. He's a father coming to kneel before another father. And he said, Lord, have mercy on my son. For he is what? He is lunatic. He is so vexed. Often times he falls into the fire and often into the water. That, you see, why the Bible says that Christ came to give us life and life everlasting. Here is the work of the devil. To make the boy fall into the fire and into the water. His, his objective is destruction. He will not destroy you in Jesus' name. Amen. See, and I brought him to your disciples. They could not cure him. Jesus said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? Bring him to me. And the Bible says, Jesus rebuked the devil and he departed out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. The father of that boy brought him to Jesus Christ and said, I want my son cured. I want my son healed. And Jesus being, I mean, of the heavenly, uh, 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 being a heavenly father said, you brought this boy to me. You cannot take him away the way you brought him. Brethren, he's still doing it. I said he's still doing it. I said he's still doing it. Our father is a healer. He's a healer. The Bible says, before they ask, I will answer. He knows what you need from him this afternoon. You are the real.